You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. Well, hey, good morning, East Point Church. How are we today? Good. It's great to see your faces. Uh, If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Daniel. I serve as the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And man, I get such a a privilege to to share the Word of God with you this morning. Just want to take a a moment and just honor our lead pastor, Sam. Uh, You know that he he has really trained um, a lot of us just in the preaching of God's word, and he takes it so seriously, uh, you know, and, and I just love that. I love that, you know, our lead pastor takes the word of God so seriously and wants to train others in that way. So uh, go ahead and open your Bibles with me, Mark chapter 9. We're going to be in verses 38 through 50 uh, today. And if you were here last week, you heard... Jesus's conversation. You got to listen in on Jesus's conversation with his disciples. Uh, Just to bring everybody up to speed here, uh, if last week the disciples were wondering and they were asking Jesus and asking each other, who is the greatest, right? Which one of us is the greatest, Jesus? We've been been with you for for a few years now, so go on, tell us which one of us is is the greatest. It's me, right? It's me. And Jesus flips the pecking order on them, right? They're so concerned about who's the best. And Jesus said, all right, I'll give you the answer. They were not expecting this, right? They said, to be the greatest, you got to be the least. And you have to be the servant of all. Right, so Jesus drops this bomb on them. And this week, we continue to listen in because the conversation's not over. Jesus isn't finished talking with his disciples. So I would say this is part two of Jesus's conversation with his disciples because he's coming to the point where he is soon going to be met with the cross and he needs to get his disciples ready. He needs to prepare them and remind them that there is something inside of them that they aren't aware of, that they aren't aware that needs changing. It is so important to get this through their heads because the thing, this thing can either make or break them. And the same thing that Jesus shares with his disciples, he wants to share with you and I this morning. There is a battle going on in our lives every single day. We have something that whispers in our ear and says, you are the greatest. Hey, hey, you don't need you're good on your own. Hey, hey, you're right. They're not right. You got this. You really do. Does anyone know what I'm talking about this morning? Pride. Pride is sneaky. And you may be sitting here this morning and thinking to yourself, well, you know what? I don't really deal with pride. You know, I'm pretty good. But hey, that guy over there, uh he needs to hear this message. He needs to hear it. So I'm glad you're preaching on this this morning. All right. Uh, So if that's you, if that's you this morning, I have been there at well. And I want to share with you a story, okay, from it was about nine or ten years ago. Okay. I graduated out of Bible college and I was ready to become a music pastor somewhere. So I started doing job interviews with churches. And then one was going super well. It was going great. And they invited me to come for a weekend, you know, to meet the band, the production team, uh, for me to even lead musical worship on a Sunday, to meet the staff and the board, things like that. Uh, And it was great. We had a great weekend. I was really loving it. And on my last day there, I remember we went out to a restaurant after the gatherings, and uh, it was me and the board of the church, and I remember sitting there. I was in the middle of the table, and the board was surrounding me, and they were just asking me questions, right? And normal interview questions like, so where did you go to college? Uh, you know, what are some things that you learned? Uh, what's your, what would you say are your passions and desires? Uh, how would you handle this situation and this situation? So on and so forth. But then there was this one question that was asked, and it caught me completely off guard. And it was this. You as a musician, how do you handle the issue of pride in your life? 
and I froze. I froze. I don't know about you if you've ever had those experiences where like you literally come out of your body and you're having your conversation with yourself and you're like, all right, how, what are we going to do here? How are we going to answer this question? Because Daniel, you don't really, you don't, you're a pretty humble dude. Like you don't, you don't deal with pride, right? And remember that was like kind of the answer that I was giving to, to this guy and they still hired me. But my answer was like, yeah, like, well, you know what, like, I really have worked on myself, and I don't really deal with pride a whole lot, you know, I'm very, like, yeah, <laughs> so it was very vague, but, like, years later, like, I've just had that conversation in my head, and, like, just looking back over time, and, and I'm like, wow, I was so prideful. For me, for me to utter the words, I'm, I'm not really prideful, I'm pretty, pretty humble dude, I was prideful, I was you see, pride isn't something that only the loud and arrogant people deal with. But friends, we all have pride. And if you think you don't have pride, you probably have a lot of pride. Okay. And as we go through today's passage, Jesus is going to point out a few things that pride says. Like I said, pride is sneaky and it's trying to convince you to believe in it. And we have to be very careful because you can end up like I was 10 years ago, completely blind and thinking, I'm good. I'm good. But Jesus is warning us today. So there's four things that pride says in this passage, and we're going to go through this together. So let's start off where we picked up last week. So we finished, right? The, Jesus tells them, to be the greatest, you got to be a servant. And you would think that conversation would have dealt with the pride that was in their hearts, in the disciples' hearts, but it didn't. So John, starting, John says this, starting in verse 38. He says, John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterwards to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ, by no means lose his reward. All right, so here's what's going on. There's a guy in town, someone who's casting out demons in the name of Jesus, but here is the issue. This person was not part of the 12 disciples. He was not following us. He wasn't part of the group, right? And I could just picture John and the disciples coming to Jesus and being like, hey, Jesus, you know, uh, hey, talking about serving, I just want to let you know how, how I served you uh, just the other day. There was this guy in town, and he was casting out demons in your name, and we were like, what's this guy doing? So we, you know what, Jesus, don't worry. We put a stop to him. Everything's good, Okay. And then Jesus says this, do not stop him. Wait, what do you mean don't stop him, Jesus? What right does this guy have? He's, he's not one of us. And a similar situation happens actually in the very beginning of our Bibles in the book of Numbers, chapter 11, verses 26 through 30. And a really cool story where God instructs Moses to pick 70 elders. And he said, once you choose your 70 elders who are going to help you, right, help you leading the people of Israel, once you pick these 70 elders, God said, I will take some of the spirit that is on you, Moses, and I'm going to put it on them. So Moses goes ahead. He picks 70. God puts the spirit on the 70 elders, and then they begin to prophesy. Now, as you continue to read the story, you notice that there's two other guys who weren't a part of the 70 elders, and the Spirit also falls on them. And they begin to prophesy, but they're not part of the 70. Okay? So there's this one guy that comes, this one guy notices in the camp, he notices that there's two guys prophesying who are not elders, so he runs to Joshua, who's Moses' right-hand man, and then Joshua's like, oh my gosh, we got to put this stop to this. So Moses then goes to, Joshua goes to Moses and says, Moses, hey, just so you know, there's two guys in the camp. They're not part of the elders and they're prophesying. And listen to what Moses says. Moses said to him, 
Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. You see, Moses' desire was that God's spirit would rest on all people, not just a select few. His desire was that all would prophesy, not just a few And that's what Jesus is getting at here. What Moses understood and what Jesus was about to teach his disciples was that exclusivity is not a part of the kingdom of God. The disciples here were jealous. They weren't jealous for Jesus. They were jealous for themselves. You may remember a few weeks ago we talked about a passage where there was a boy who was demon-possessed. And the disciples tried to cast the demon out of this boy, but they couldn't. So Jesus had to step in. Jesus cast out the demon, and the disciples were like, Jesus, what, what happened? Like, you know, we have authority and all those things, and we tried, but it didn't work. So, so what happened? And Jesus tells them, some of these things only happen through prayer and fasting. So with that in mind, With just not too long ago, the disciples being unsuccessful of casting out a demon. Now they see some random guy on the street who's casting out demons in the name of Jesus. I'm sure they're feeling pretty embarrassed. I'm sure they're feeling kind of hurt, right? Like, man, we're we're the closest to Jesus. We've been following him for years and, and we couldn't do what that guy's doing. Like, Oh, you know what, here's what we'll do. We'll, just, we'll, we'll put a stop to him because honestly, what right does that guy have? What right does he have? Or you see the train of thought. What right does he have to do that? You know, we're going to put a stop to it because if we couldn't do it, what right does somebody else have? So Jesus explains, don't stop him for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. And I love how here at East Point we kind of go, we're, we're spending a lot of time in the book of Mark, right? We're, we're going line by line and seeing what Mark says. And there's things that as we continue to go through this book together, we're going to be reminded of things that we've seen in the past. And this here's one of the things. In Mark chapter 3, the scribes and the teachers were, saw Jesus casting out demons and they said, they were like, yeah, you're only casting out demons because you, you know, you're possessed by Beelzebub. You're possessed by Satan. So you have control over demons because, Jesus, you yourself are a demon. But Jesus is telling his disciples here, somebody who's, who, is, who is casting out demons in my name, using the name of Jesus, I'm telling you, they're not going to be able to say anything against me. They're going to see the power that is associated with that name. They're going to see, so don't put a stop to it. They would realize and understand the power that belongs to that name and to those who follow him. You see, the disciples may have tried to convince themselves that they were jealous for Jesus, but Jesus knew it was for themselves. Jealousy is sneaky. It can convince us that our, that our emotions and that our motivations are justified. It can cloud our judgment. It can get us to demonize people and forget the big picture and thank God that Jesus was able to share with his disciples, was able to warn them of what they were doing in a kind and loving way. For the one who is not against us, he tells us, for the one who is not against us is for us. Jesus is getting his disciples to remember who the real enemy is. And who's the real enemy? Let's take a look. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we, believers, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't fight against each other, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The things that we are fighting against are things that we cannot see. But it's easier, right? to fight with somebody that you can see in the flesh. It's easier to look at other people and take it out on them. But that's not the enemy. The enemy is not those who are not against us. And we as humans can fall in the trap of thinking that they are. Right? We, we can become obsessed with what other people are doing in Jesus' name instead of focusing on what we should be doing in his name. 
We can become convinced that the way we do things is the only way. And if we're not careful, we can look down on other people. We can look down on other churches. We can look down on other denominations because they don't look like us. For example, it could be easy to look at the, the big mega churches who have the big buildings and all the flashy lights, who have resources upon resources, and we can look at them and be like, man, they've really lost the heart of what it's, of what it's really all about. That's a shame. That's a shame without knowing anything about them. On the opposite side, we can look at the smaller churches who have 20 people who still got the red carpet, you know, and then they have the, they just have one, they don't have a full band, but they have a piano player and a singer, and you can look at them and be like, man, they're just, they're not trendy. They're not up with the times. Like they, man, they're really not going to do anything for the kingdom of God. If only they did it like us. Yeah, we do it better. We do. Far be it from us to be exclusive and clicky when Jesus is asking us to join arms for the advancement of the gospel. Arms with each other in this room, yes, but with all believers. With all believers. This is not a competition. We're not competing with other churches in the area, but those who profess Jesus, man, we're, we're together in this for the advancement of the gospel. And it's the enemy who wants us to fall in the trap of debating over trivial things. He would much prefer that believers waste their time fighting amongst each other than working to advance the kingdom of God. And here, what we're reading here, John is, is, falls into this trap of being focused on the trivial things, and his words reveal a spirit of exclusivity and pridefulness. And Jesus warns his disciples not to create walls amongst other believers, but to, believers, but to be a champion for unity. And here we learn the first thing that pride says. Pride says, stay out. Pride says, no, we're good. Stay out. Stay out. You're not part of this group. You're not part of, of these disciples, so stay out. Are you a champion for unity? Or are you more likely to exclude because someone believes a little differently than you? Because somebody worships a little differently than you. And hear me out, church. In inclusivity doesn't mean blind acceptance of blatant, unrepentant sin or heresy. There are things that we die for. Like, I will die of the doctrine of the triune God. That our God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I will die for the belief that Jesus died and he rose again and his blood has washed me clean. And because of his sacrifice, I have life. I will die of the fact that Jesus is the only way. The only way. Not just one of the ways, but the only way. And what that means for us, church, is that we need to be discerning. We need to pray to the Lord and ask for discernment, ask for wisdom, because there are a lot of things out there today that are being taught, that are just opinions, and that are far from the truth. We need to distance ourselves from heresy, yes. However, not all issues should cause division. Whether you have the, the, the fancy lights or just a keys player and a, and a vocalist, whether you're singing hymns or contemporary Christian music or gospel, that shouldn't divide us. And if every issue we come across in the church does cause division, then there's something wrong with us. There is good indication that jealousy and pride are present. We need to be able to appreciate and embrace authentic ministry when we see it even if it doesn't look like what we're used to. Humble disciples, we strive for unity, not exclusivity. We need to remember who our enemy is and what he is trying to do to divide Christ's church. Jesus made it clear who the enemy is and who it is not. There's far more that we can do together than by ourselves. We need each other. 
And something for us to keep in mind is that the audience that Mark is writing to, they're, they're believers being persecuted for their faith. Right? They need each other. If they, were to, if they were to get so concerned with the trivial things, right, they'd be alone. They'd be facing persecution alone. But they need each other. And Jesus hints at this as he finishes this section by saying, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. There was a time fast approaching when the disciples would be despised for their faith. And God loves us so much that he has given us each other, right? When, I'm sa- when, when I received the salvation, I wasn't, I wasn't just saved into, I wasn't just saved individually as like, whatever, I was off by myself. But I'm saved and I'm brought into a family. I have brothers and sisters in Christ. God loves us so much, he's given us each other. And even the slightest bit of kindness shown to Christ followers, Jesus would remember. And like, do we know what the reward is that Jesus is talking about? Not necessarily. He doesn't go into detail. But Jesus does say, he will remember the kindness that's shown to those who follow him. And even in the midst of persecutions, believers should accept and appreciate any kindness shown towards them. Pride says, stay out. Stay out. We don't need you. And as we continue to read, we learn that pride has more to say. We've got a lot more to say. Pride says, look at me. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. See, Jesus continues to shed light on pride that finds its way into human hearts. And in this scenario, he talks about the fate of those who cause little ones to stumble. So let's talk about little ones. What, What does Jesus mean when he says that? So he's not talking about children here, but he's talking about people who are in the early stages of their faith. How many know that when you come to know the Lord, you don't know everything, right? Okay? You don't know everything, um, but it's a journey. Faith is a journey. We believe that so much at, at East Point, and, and we, we look at it this way, that everybody's in different stages of their faith. You might be exploring faith. You might be like, I'm, I've never really heard about this Jesus, or maybe you have heard of this Jesus, but never took the time to really sit in a gathering and listen to the preaching of the Word. So you're, you're exploring, you're, you're taking it in and seeing, like, what, what do I believe? You might be new to faith. You may have, you may have crossed that. You may have crossed the point where you're like, okay, well, I'm exploring this, but now I do believe this, and I do want to follow him, but I'm still new to this, and I'm still getting, you know, understanding the foundations of this thing. Then there's those who are maturing in their faith. They, they've been serving the Lord maybe for some time, and they're, and they're serving in the church, and they're involved in community groups, and they're, and they're learning God's word, and they're continuing to read about him and get to know him. You're maturing in your faith. And then there's some of you where you're in the multiplication stage, where now you're pouring into other believers, where you're showing them the ropes and how to walk, Right? We're all on a different part of the journey. But here, Jesus warns those leaders of the faith. Pastors, teachers, evangelists, leaders, parents even. If we cause a believer young in their faith to stumble and and live a life of, of sin, it would be better for us if a great millstone were hung around our necks and thrown into the sea. So this is a millstone. Israel, ancient Israel was an agrarian society. Um, so a lot of the word pictures they use kind of revolve around this stuff here. And does not look heavy? Like when I'm reading this, I'm like, oh man, he's not just talking about a rock. He's talking about that thing. This was used to crush grain, to crush um, oil, uh, sorry, olives for olive oil and things like that. And it was so heavy that it needed to be pulled by an animal, usually a donkey. There was only one person that I know of in the Bible that was able to move this thing, and it was Samson, all right? That was his punishment when he was with the Philistines. But see, this is what Jesus is talking about. And to be thrown into the sea, sea symbolizes terror and chaos, 
And this just seems severe, right? It seems like we got, real, we got deep real quick. We're talking about who's the greatest, and then we're talking about jealousy, but now we're talking about this? Jesus, why? And I love this quote from R.C. Sproul. He says, One can infer that God shows more concern for the little one's fragile faith than for the great one's fragile egos, which can cause them to lord it over or ignore others. This scenario deals with leaders, preachers, teachers who are prideful, who desire the spotlight and platform for the attention and the authority rather than the responsibility of sharing God's word. You see, pride says, look at me. Look at me instead of look at him. Don't look at me. Look at him. Church, as I'm speaking to you to this, as I'm speaking to you this morning, don't look at me. Look at him. Pastors, leaders, teachers, those who have a platform and a following, heed these words. Don't take your jobs lightly. Don't use your platform for sharing opinions and desire, but share the truth of God's word. Study it, know it, and lead others in it. And that's why the Bible even says, not all of you ought to be teachers because there's great responsibility. Point people to him, not yourself. Pride says, stay out. Pride says, look at me. And the third thing we see is that pride says, I've got it under control. Let's keep reading. Verse 43, and if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. Where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So now Jesus isn't talking about causing other people to sin, but now he's addressing the disciples and saying, Be careful of the sin that's within you. And as we read this, this is for all of us. This isn't just for the disciples and leaders, but this is for all of us. You'll notice a theme in these verses, right? Cut off your hand. Cut off your foot. Cut out your eye. It's better to do that and enter life than to have every part of your body and enter into hell. So how we're going to respond this morning, I invite you to come forward. We're going to chop off our arms. I'm just joking. Laugh, laugh, you know. We can laugh here. We can laugh here. No, I'm teasing. Take Take a deep breath, everyone. Jesus is not actually asking you to cut off parts of your body. But he uses such severe imagery. You know why? Because he understands the severity of sin. This example really caught the audience's attention because in Jewish tradition, to disfigure your body, to, to dismember it, whatever, like, it was considered a sin, It was considered a sin because parts of your body were considered a gift from God, right? If I have hands to, if if I have hands, then I'm able to work, right? God has gifted me with hands so I can work. God has gifted me with feet so I can walk from one place to the other. God has gifted me with a mouth so I could speak, so I could sing. God's gifted me with a tongue so I can taste incredible food. God has gifted me with ears so I can listen to beautiful music, right? They, They saw parts of their body as this gift from the Lord, and to cut it off, to cut something off, that was a sin. But this is how serious Jesus is about sin, a lifestyle of sin. If this thing in your life is going to lead you down the path of a lifestyle of sin, cut it off. Get rid of it. But pride says, I've got this under control. Pride says, I know myself. I know how far I can go before I stumble. God, don't know. We're good. We're okay. I can do this on my own strength. 
I got this. I got this, Jesus. But sin seeks to destroy you. And if, and if we're not continually on our guard against it, it will have its way. Pride says, I've got this under control. But Jesus says, cut it out. Don't leave room for temptation. And for us this morning, something for us to reflect on are what are the things in our lives that we need to cut out? And it's not going to be the same for for everyone here. And you may even come across things that aren't technically sins, right? You can open your Bible and be like, well, the Bible doesn't say explicitly that this is a sin, so I guess I'm okay. But let me challenge you with this. 1 Corinthians 10.23 All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. We've got to be real with ourselves. Right? We've got to be real with ourselves. Even if it's not considered a sin, is this thing building me up or is it bringing me down? Is this thing helping me look more like Jesus? Or is it making me look the opposite? It might be the friends you hang around with. It might be the place you go to every Friday night. It might be your laptop. It might be Netflix. It might be the music you listen to. Whatever it is, get rid of it before it gets, gets rid of you. And doing that on your own is a hard thing. And that's why we have each other. And that's why at East Point Church we value community so much. is because, because we know we can't do life alone. That's why we, like this, this right here, this Sunday morning gathering, it's amazing, but it's only part of the equation. We need stuff throughout the week. We need to be in groups together. We need to to be with each other even throughout the week so we can look each other in the eyes and make sure that we're good. We need those people in our lives who know us, who who know what we're capable of doing and can challenge us and be like, hey man, come on, cut it out. You got this. Cut it out. But I see you need those people. You know, I meet on Wednesday, on Tuesday mornings with, with a few guys from the church. And we take that time. We read scripture together. We pray for each other. And then we just have times where we're open with each other. Just sharing like, hey, what's going on in your lives? What's going on in your marriages? What's God teaching you? We need that, friends. Cut the sin out of your life and don't do it alone. So we've been talking a lot about how to cut out sin. But why is sin so bad? Why should we do it? What does a a lifestyle of sin lead to? It leads to an eternity of hell. And I've always been taught when reading scripture, when, when something's shared several times in a small amount of time, pay attention. So you read something once, cool. But then you see that word come up again. You're like, oh, okay pattern here and you see it come up a third time and you're like okay the author really wants us to listen in to what he's saying here jesus mentions health hell three times in these verses because he's warning us of what sin leads to you know and people in churches have become uncomfortable talking about it but jesus talked more about hell than he did heaven and why? Like, I mean, I can only guess why. I don't know why he did it, but I can, I can guess that he was being gracious and kind enough to, to let us know, hey, if you, if you go down this path, this is what you're going towards. But if you follow me, I have something so much better for you. If you follow me, I have something so much better for you, but I'm not going to avoid the hard conversations. I'm not going to avoid talking about this, Right? So Jesus brings this up. And the word used for hell here is Gehenna. And Gehenna was a place right outside of Israel. It was, it was this ravine. And what had happened early on in, in Israel's history, they tried to do a lot of things on their own. You know how pride says, I, I've got this under control? That was Israel. They said, I got this under control. And what they did is slowly they would start worshiping other deities, They still had God, but they would worship other deities as well. And one of the deities, Molech, 
One of the ways that you worshiped this god, Molech, is by sacrificing children. And this place, Gehenna, is where that would happen. And it was Jeremiah who, it was Jeremiah who prophesied and said, Israel, you need to cut this out. You need to stop. You need to turn back to the Lord and thank God because King Josiah finally put a stop to child sacrifice. And, and to make sure that Israel didn't go down this path again, in order for them, right, cutting it off, cutting off the temptation, in order for that not to be a place where they would ever go again, that place became a garbage pit. It was where all the garbage of Jerusalem would go, the refuse, the, the um, animal carcasses, right? Everything ended up there. And to make sure that it didn't overflow, overflow they would set it on fire. So the reason why this word Gehenna is used here is because it was the closest thing that they can, that the people of Israel could associate with hell. Because the flames never stopped. And the worms would come and they would, right, eat through all the the food leftovers and they would eat through the the animal carcasses, right? And I know you're cringing hearing this, but, but this is how serious it is. Hell's real. We don't just, if we don't believe in Jesus, we don't just dissolve into nothing. But hell exists because sin needs to be dealt with. God is so good and he's so just that he created a place where sin gets taken care of. And God is also so good that he has taken, that he has, man, done everything to let us know to follow him and experience life. Church, you and I don't got this under control. Israel's a perfect example of that. But you know who does? You know who does have it under control? It's Jesus. Because another way that God dealt with sin was by sending his one and only son, Jesus, to die on a cross for you and me. And on that cross, Jesus carried our sin. Past, present, future sins. And for anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, for anyone who who makes that decision to follow Jesus, you are forgiven of sin and you are invited into eternal life with him. It's open to all. Don't wait to turn from your sin. Don't just say, "I, I got a few more months you know, and then I'll turn my life around. Then when this happens in my life, then I'll turn, then, then, then I'll get more serious. I've known a lot of people who've done that. But tomorrow's not promised, friends. Don't wait. Turn to him. Turn from your sin. Don't wait to give your life to Jesus and follow him. Church, we can't trust the motivations in our hearts, but we can trust the words of Jesus whose intentions for us are good, whose intentions for us are life eternal with him. Cut out the sin and temptations. Don't do it alone and surrender your life to Jesus. And when we surrender our lives to him, he transforms us. And the last two verses that we're going to talk about here, talk about transformation. Let's read this together. Verses 49 and 50. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Jesus concludes with these two verses, and he now adds new imagery to the mix. Salt. For everyone will be salted with fire. So what, what does he mean when he's talking about this? So let's, let's look at salt for, for a minute here. Salt was used to preserve, and it was used to purify, all right? And it was also used to destroy things, which I learned in my research this week. And in this case, salt is, used to pres- salt is being used for preservation and purification. And the fire here signifies trials and persecution that we experience in this life. And notice, 
Jesus says, for everyone will be salted with fire. Not just some. Everyone will look a little different, but everyone will go through this purification process. Right? We go through things in life. We, we are persecuted for our faith, right? Mark is writing to people who are being persecuted for their faith. But through these trials, through these things that we go through, we are being refined. One of the times I spoke here, I talked about the, the process of a gold ring uh, of gold, right? And, uh, and how you have to like heat it up to this really high temperature to, make it, to, make that, to get that gold that is so pure, and it's such a, a perfect imagery there. But man, we go through things, but we don't go, for no, we don't go through those things for no reason. But we're purified and refined through it. And it seems contradictory, right? You would think that fire would destroy, but in God's kingdom, he flips that upside down too. Let's look at the history of the church. The church has faced persecution for thousands of years. Emperors, kings, Governments, they have tried to put a stop to the advancement of the gospel and of the kingdom of God. But no matter how hard people have tried, they couldn't stop it. We are a living testimony in this room. That right, thousands of years have passed since Jesus was on this earth. And we are spending our Sunday mornings at 1030 listening to the gospel, listening to his words, because the power, man, that Jesus has is so powerful, and no man can stop it. No one can. And it's in the midst of persecution that the church, it grew, and more, added, and more were added to the kingdom day after day after day. And this is clearly not a human effort, but it's God at work and his disciples and I'm reminded of Jesus' final words to his disciples when, when he ascended into heaven. Right? He said, I will surely be with you to the very end of the age. He didn't say, all right, guys, I'm leaving. I'll see you on the other side. All right, good luck. Good luck out here. Oh, man, you guys are about to go through persecution, so I'm leaving. I, I don't want to be a part of this, so see you guys. No, but he promises, I will be with you. And how is he with us? Through the Holy Spirit. Those who follow Jesus, those who are saved by Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of believers to give us strength so that we could be his witnesses even in the harshest of times, even in the darkest of times. God is with you. God is with me. He will never leave you nor forsake you. transforming us into his likeness and that's how we know we are growing because we continue to look more like him we're almost done here but now he he starts to talk about salt a little bit more he says salt is good but if the salt has lost its saltiness how will you make it salty again salt that doesn't taste salty is useless How many cooks uh, do we have in the room today? I see your hands. I know some of you are being modest. You know, I know some of y'all are like pro chefs. So anyways, but uh, I'm a baker and my wife's the cook. And the reason why is because I cook with my head, whereas my wife, she cooks with her heart. I love baking because you have, you, can, you have to be so precise. I have a, a kitchen scale where I measure everything. And if the recipe calls for one teaspoon of salt, I measure that teaspoon. All right? That te- is going to be flat. It's going to be exactly a teaspoon. Now, transfer that over to cooking. It don't work. It don't work that way. And the reason why I know this is because there's been countless times where I've prepared a meals and followed the recipe to a T. And then I would play up this, this food for my wife and I've gone before her and I'm like, look what I made for you, honey. And she goes to cut, to cut open that dry chicken and, and she puts it in her mouth and then she's like, honey, would you mind getting me the salt or the Tabasco? And in that moment, you know, it's under seasoned, right? It's under seasoned. But that's right, cooking with your heart, right? You cook until it smells good, until the, the aromas hit you, and you're like, yes, I know this is good. Not based off the measurements, but what it smells like, what it looks like. 
Jesus isn't talking about food here. He's not talking about salt to be used in food. He's not getting us to, to season our food better, even though we all should strive for that, okay? But man, if salt is not salty, it's worthless. If the characteristics of salt are absent, then this so-called salt, it's useless. And followers of Jesus, if we claim to be his disciples, but look nothing like him, are we truly his followers? The fourth thing that pride says is, I am who I am. Pride doesn't want you to change because it thinks you don't need to change. It thinks that there's nothing wrong with you and that you can just stay the way that you are. But man, that is a lie. As the saying goes, if we are not growing, then we are dying. Disciples of Jesus, we know that we're followers of him because we, could, because we start to look more like him. And make sure that you notice the changes and celebrate it. Because you could be listening to this and be like, oh man, I haven't changed. I haven't transformed. This is me. Oh my gosh. But sometimes you need somebody else in your life to look at you and be like, hey man, I've noticed that you've grown in this area. Good job. Right? Sometimes we're super hard on ourselves. But having those people who can look you in the eyes and and tell you not only when things do need to change in your lives, but also to celebrate with you of like, man, like you're leading a community group. That's awesome. Man, you're reading your Bible every day. You're praying every day. That's awesome. That doesn't go unnoticed. God sees you. But it's nice when you have somebody, somebody, right, in your community that's here that is looking at you and able to help you in that. Let's be encouragers, friends. Because being a follower of Jesus means we're playing the long game. We're not going to change overnight, but it takes time. And as we talk about community, we're going to end on community. Verse 50. Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Some commentators say that when Jesus mentions salt here, he literally is talking about food. He's talking about sitting down at the table with other brothers and sisters in Christ because the table, it is such a picture of unity. And one of the things that I value so much from my family growing up is that we had meals together every single night. Every single night. Big Italian family, and everything revolves around food in our culture, so it made sense. But we would eat together every night. And no matter who was mad at who, you know, you just, you just looked each other in the eyes and you had a meal together. What a picture of unity. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. Have salt within each other and be at peace with each other. Do we see the, the, um, do we see the community sandwich? Now let me explain. We started off with, with John being jealous of somebody else and saying, stay out. But Jesus said, no, you need each other. And then we're ending with this where it's like, hey, make sure that you guys are united and connected and that you are sharing, that you have salt within yourselves and that you have peace. Be at peace amongst each other. It's at the table you can laugh with one another, cry with one another, and share the struggles of life. Pride keeps us away from the table. It keeps us away from people God has placed in our lives to help us grow. Pride says, stay out. But Jesus says, you need each other. Pride says, look at me. But Jesus says, no, keep your eyes on me. Pride says, I've got it under control. But Jesus says, cut it off before it destroys you. Pride says, I am who I am. But Jesus says, I am the I am. I'm the one who is there from the beginning, who formed you, who knows you, who knows what you can become. 
follow me and I will transform you. Don't fall for the lies of what pride has to say because pride is ultimately our sin nature trying to drown out the voice of our Savior. We end with this, a life marked by pride leads to death, but a life surrendered leads to life. When we surrender to God, we have life. When we submit ourselves, we even put each other first, we experience life. Let's pray. Man, Lord, we are grateful to you today. We are grateful that that you had these hard conversations with your disciples because you wanted to point out the things in them that needed to change. Because you knew, Lord, that they needed to hear this in order to grow, in order to become more like you and to make an impact for the kingdom of God. And God, that's what we want. We don't want to just exist on this earth, but Lord, we want to be a part of something. And we thank you that you've brought us into your kingdom. And you have commissioned us, Lord, to make disciples and to help advance your kingdom. So God, I pray that you would help us to be effective in ministry. So Lord, we we pause and we reflect on this. And we even say, Lord, that you would have your way in our lives. Point out the things in our lives that need to change. Point out the things, Lord, that we where we have believed, where we have believed what pride has been whispering in our ears. Forgive us, Lord, and help us to change and become you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeason.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.